back after last week's festivities, and uh, it was, uh, it feels like Easter weather outside, right? You know, so the flowers and dogwoods and everything are cooperating, so uh, um, don't get too, that's why we close the blinds, we don't want people being distracted, you know, looking out at uh, <laughs> good weather. If you have a prayer card right now, we'd uh, be more than happy to pick those up and collect them. Uh, again, they'll another opportunity later on if you uh, something comes to mind that, uh, that helps us out while that's happening I just want to uh, let you know I, if you have Amazon Prime you may have seen ads for a movie that uh, they've made recently called wing and a prayer and uh, it, it's about a um, people in an airplane and uh, the, uh, they get up in the airplane and the, the pilot, uh, unfortunately it's a small plane, and the pilot passes away, has a heart attack or something. And uh, so they're stuck up in the sky. Um, so this is the, the movie and it's actually based on true life story of uh, some people from Monroe, Louisiana, and they um, are members of the, one of the Churches of Christ down there. And, uh, and so that's uh, the minister at their home congregation is one of my good friends, because uh, that's where I was before I came here. I, I don't know the couple or the family personally, but uh, he's, uh, he's pretty excited to have members of his congregation turned into an Amazon movie. And uh, so if you're looking for something, it's, I don't think it's like, it's produced by Amazon, it's not tip, you know, a typical Christian movie as such, but if you're interested in just uh, a good movie um, that I think should portray faith in a positive light, then uh, uh, check, that one, check that one out if you have Amazon Prime. All right. What are some of the first words that babies learn to say. Oh, I will say, before I get it, you can think about that. What are some of the first words babies learn to say? This is our current series. I'm starting a new, new sermon series. Um, I'm calling it Disappointing Jesus. And uh, it's a little bit of a, a play on words because we can read that in a, in a couple of ways. But uh, you can see the, the topics that we're going to have down there in the, uh, over the next, next few weeks. Um, but what are some, some of the first words that babies learn to say? Yeah? Mom? Dad? No? <laughs> Mom, Dad, no. Not always in that order, right? <laughs> um, sooner or later they get to yes, don't they? <laughs> Mine? Um, so we could, uh, we could probably come up with some different ones. It's truck. You know, um, but perhaps it's not the, the first word. Perhaps, uh, you know, we have to go through a few of them before we get to the word, our word for the day. But I do think that it's a, a word that um, we learn very early on. And it's a, a word that is definitely part of a developmental stage, you know, as we grow. And for some of us, it never ends, and, and that's a good thing. It really 
really is. The word that I'm, I'm thinking of is, is the word why. Word why. Yeah, do you remember, do you remember your, your kids going through that stage? And it was like, you would get in this rhythm of saying no, and they would get in a rhythm of saying why. <laughs> and, and so you're, you're continually, and then what's the standard answer for this? Because I said so, right, all right. So, uh, and, uh, and remember that, okay? We're going we're gonna to come back to that idea. But what's really interesting is that it's this, this word that can be so irritating as a parent, right, or grandparent. Um, but, but this word that, that can be so, so irritating is actually one of the great drivers of civilization, right? It, it, it really is. It's this built-in sense of, of curiosity, this desire to explore. And, and, and in, a, in a way, isn't that what Eve was doing in the garden? You know, she was, she was saying to God, why? And, and then saying, I'm going to explore. Let me, let me find out what this is about. Now, you know, there's things like laws and commands and, you know, just don't disobey. Disobeying God's a bad idea, you know. So there's lots of reasons not to, but it's this sort of urge to, to understand, to know, to be bigger and better, to, to, to grow that, that I think was there from the very beginning, this curiosity that is inbuilt, built into us. And so there's this word, why, is still part of us, you know. Can you be an engineer if, you don't, if you're not interested in the why of how things work? Um, they're, they're not just that career, but there's, there's many others as well. Even in cooking, you know, you, you, I'm going to try this, or that worked or didn't work, and we say, well, reflect on that. Why didn't it work? What went wrong? What can you learn? What can you do different in the future? And so why is, is this really important word in, in our lives and in our civilization. But I wonder, when was the last time you asked that question? We're watching someone else's driving. <laughs> You're like, why? <laughs> um, were you standing in the grocery store looking at the price of eggs? <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> why? Yeah. Um, I wonder, have you ever put something down and you can't find it? And then you're saying, why is this happening to me? Right? Again, maybe it was something you saw on television and you're like, why is that on my screen? There, there are lots of ways that we use the word why. And um, we just had read for us John chapter 11. And, and in John 11, Jesus restores Lazarus to life. And there are significant questions as, as we read through there as to why it took Jesus so long to get there. In fact, wasn't that where our reading ended? Right? I know we usually get to the ending, you know, we get to the end of a psalm and we're like, amen. We got to the end of our reading in John 11, you're like, oh, what am I supposed to say? Because right? they're accusing, you know, it's like, Jesus, if you can heal the blind. Couldn't you have healed this guy? And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to amen that. That doesn't sound quite right. So why didn't Jesus prevent Lazarus' death? 
And we're going to talk about those events actually a lot more in, in growth group this week. We're not going to spend most of our time there. But I, I do want to reference it because I think it's this, it, it's a great example of a story of a series of events where Jesus disappointed people. People were disappointed in the way Jesus responded to their circumstances. But I want to, uh, for, for our purposes this morning, spend our time in John, still in John, but chapter 6. John chapter 6. And it's a very long chapter. 71 verses. So, uh, Daryl, you got off the hook. I know it looked long, you know, in chapter 11, but chapter 6 was a lot longer. And so, um, sometimes when we ask why, it is driven by curiosity. It's a desire to learn. Okay? Other times when we ask the, the question, why, it's because we think the other person is crazy. It's like, why are you doing that? You know, what are you thinking is sort of the, the, the thought that's going on behind us. Why would anybody do that? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, that was probably behind a lot of the, the discipline that I received in, in elementary school. You know, Peter, why? What were you thinking? And, uh, and so it, it's not always curious. Sometimes it's just like, I can't, it's sort of critical, right? I can't believe that you're doing that. Or I don't understand, that makes no sense. It's not what we expect from that person. See, the other part that went with that discipline that I would have received in school was, Peter, we expected better of you than that, right? Why'd you do that? We expect better of you than that, okay? You wear a tie to school, like, act like it. You know, so um, the, those two ideas, I think, go together. The, the question why and the expectations that we have. We don't understand why something happens because our expectations are different. So Jesus constantly caused his disciples to scratch their heads. Right? You don't have to read very far through the Gospels to, to, to get a sense of, they don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Jesus calls, they follow, but then he says stuff, he does stuff, and I, I'm sure, why is this happening? Why are you doing that? Why did you heal this person? Why not that person? Why are we going to that place, this place or that place? We, we saw it last week with Easter, right? Uh, why did... Jesus die. The big, the biggest possible question, why? His followers weren't expecting Jesus to die. And, and so their expectations weren't met, and so now they're stuck with this big, why did this happen? How can I make sense of what's going on? How does the world make sense to me? They were devastated. And so the, the temple authorities, on the other hand, they expected it. They'd been planning for it. They'd been dreaming of it, of the day that Jesus would be out of their hair. Right? So the death of Jesus was expected by some. They had no questions. They had no doubts. Of course it happened. He was opposing us. He was opposing the Romans. This is what he deserved. But the followers of Jesus are like, 
why their expectations were really different. But then, that was Friday. And then on, on Sunday, right? Then it, it sort of changed a little bit, right? Because now everybody is, everybody is asking, wait, what, how, why is the tomb empty? What happened? So the disciples had these questions all through their time with Jesus, right up to the very end. In John 6, we find Jesus on a hillside teaching, uh, teaching the crowds, a big crowd. They're out in the countryside. There's no McDonald's nearby. And so when it comes time for lunch, um, Jesus turns to his disciples, his apostles, and he says to them, okay, guys, where are, we, where are we going to eat? And they're like, yeah, you know, that's above our pay grade, Jesus. Um, they don't know. I think they kind of start to panic just a little bit. Um, Philip, in verse 7 of chapter 6, he answers and says, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy bread for everyone to have a bite. Not to eat, to have a bite would take half a year's wages. Okay? That's a lot of Big Macs. And, and so, Jesus though, having got them in a panic, not able to answer the question, he then miraculously feeds a crowd of over 5,000 people using just one boy's lunch of bread and fish. Now, the crowd is pretty excited by what they've just seen and tasted. And so they start murmuring that Jesus must be the prophet. That's down in verse 14. Jesus must be the prophet. You think, who's the prophet? Well, if we go back to Deuteronomy, we're going way back to Deuteronomy. And there Moses is speaking to the, the people of Israel, giving them the law, reminding them of the law that God has given them. And he says this, he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses, from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. Now, in between Moses and Jesus, there are a whole lot of prophets, right? Uh, you've got the, the books of the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You've got um, Elijah and Elisha as great, great men of God in, in the books of Kings there. Uh, but the Jews were convinced that this prophet like Moses hadn't yet come. And you could say, what, what would a prophet like Moses look like? And, and I think that originally it would have meant somebody who spoke for God. Maybe somebody who was close to God. Moses, uh, I don't know if you are aware of this, but he had an, his own special tent outside the camp. So inside the camp, there's the tabernacle where the, uh, where the ark of God is kept, where the priests do all their work. But outside the camp is a small tent where Moses goes out and talks to God gets his messages from God, and brings them back in. And so Moses had this very tight, very close relationship with God and then was able to represent him and speak to the people. And so when he says there's a, a prophet like me coming, well, they're thinking somebody that knows God really well and somebody who's able to speak 
uh, with great authority. But I think that what happened over time is that when, when people thought about Moses, they didn't so much think of him as a prophet anymore. Even though he received the, the Ten Commandments from, from God and, and the rest of the law and wrote it down, and, you know, he's giving this message, this super important message of the law to the people of Israel. But if you think about it, what you celebrate each year is the Passover, and this is happening. These events are happening at the Passover. Uh, you'll see that at the beginning of the chapter. And so the Passover celebrates the deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt, from slavery, from oppression. Okay? And, and Moses leads them to freedom. And so when, what now, all these couple, couple of thousand years later, they're, they're looking and, and they're looking for this prophet like Moses, they're not just thinking of somebody who's going to speak for God. They're looking for somebody who can lead them to freedom. The prophet is not just a prophet. The prophet and the Messiah, the king, these two ideas have come together. And so Moses was both a, a military leader, a national leader, and a spokesperson for God. And so now that's what they're looking for. When they talk about the prophet, they're not just looking for an author. They're looking for a great leader who will deliver them from the, the, the oppression that they've had for centuries. Ever since the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, um, they've been under the, for most of their time, under the reign of the, the Babylonians, the, um, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. And so this is an important prophecy uh, for them. So they, they say to Jesus, hey, you just fed us. Okay? We're out in the countryside and you fed us. And, uh, and that gets us thinking, are you the prophet? And so surely, in verse 14, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Well, that's all well and good, right? But then it goes a step further. Because after they say that, in verse 15, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Okay. You see, we often talk about the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. And, and it's a great miracle and the people are, are fed and Jesus meets a need. But, but look at what happens after that. They go, oh, we need to make him king. Jesus says, no, no, not so fast, my friends. And he just eases on out of there, up a mountain, to be by himself. You see, the crowd had an expectation of Jesus. And he disappointed them. He disappointed them. He didn't live up to their expectation. And presumably many in that crowd that night went home wondering why. That was, that was what was on their mind. Why? They're, they're trying to make sense of this. Okay, here's a guy who just fed us in the wilderness, fed us in the countryside. Here's a, a guy who performs great miracles, a guy who speaks for God. He must be the prophet. Why won't he let us 
make him king. Because that's what is supposed to happen. This was their deeply ingrained expectation. John next describes how during the night, as Jesus has been up on the mountain, and, and then during the night, he walks across the surface of the lake. And along the way, he rescues the apostles who are struggling with the, the, the wind and the waves that have whipped up. And, and we know those stories really well, but both the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water, we're probably familiar with those stories, but what we want to see going on here is what it has to say about who Jesus is and about his kingship. Because that's the real question. The crowd comes looking for Jesus the next morning. It's on the other side of the lake. When they eventually track him down, they're puzzled because they had seen the boats leaving and they knew that Jesus wasn't on the boats. And they're like, how'd you get here, Jesus? Right. I mean, did you run? Yeah, we didn't see you running around the shore. Yeah. How'd, you, how'd you get here? And, and he leaves them puzzled. He doesn't answer their question. He, you know, you, Jesus isn't sitting there going, oh, you guys should have seen it. Oh, that story, couldn't he? It would have been an epic TikTok video, you know, for him to, to put up there. But in, instead, he just doesn't answer their questions. And, 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 and they're left puzzled as to how Jesus got here. Because Jesus recognizes that a large part of their interest in him is the free lunch. Okay? Those fish sandwiches must have been pretty good. Okay? And so the crowd, though, they're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. So they ask him this very tricky question. And, and it doesn't seem tricky, perhaps, at first, but, but I promise it is. They say to Jesus, they say, okay, so what sign will you give that we can see it and believe you? What will you do? Then they say, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so what they're basically asking here is, hey, Moses was able to feed our ancestors in the wilderness. Do you think that you could do that? Okay. Because we're looking for a prophet like Moses, and you just fed us in the countryside. Do you think you could do it in the wilderness? Because if you can do it in the wilderness, the way that Moses did it in the wilderness, oh, yeah, we know what's going on here, right? You're the prophet. You can't hide it from us. And so that is what they are asking. Because if you say yes, you just saw me do it. Of course I could do it. You, you tasted my food then they will say, we know who you are. You're the promised prophet like Moses. But Jesus isn't particularly slow himself, and so he answers with a clever statement of his own. He says to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who actually gave you that bread from heaven. 
It was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see, he, he says to them, it wasn't Moses who gave that bread, that manna, every morning in the wilderness. Okay? So the, the Israelites would wake up every, every morning in their camp, in their tents, and they'd look out the window and they would see the manna on the ground. And they would go out and they would gather it and they would eat it. And, and it was a miraculous way of God providing for his people during their, their time in the wilderness. Uh, but Jesus says to them, that wasn't Moses. Right? So if I was to provide food, I wouldn't be being like Moses. I would be being like God. Because it was God who provided that, that food. Um, but then he, he goes on and says, it's my father who gives the true bread from heaven. And, uh, and so in verse 35, if you keep reading down, it says, I am the bread of life. Okay. Now, imagine you're that crowd. And yesterday, you were convinced that this guy was the prophet like Jesus, like Moses. The prophet, Messiah, king, like Moses. Freedom, deliverance, uprising, no oppression, overthrow the Romans, like that was yesterday. Today Jesus says, yeah, I'm a loaf of wonder. <laughs> yeah? Sandwich sliced. Yeah? I'm the bread of life. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the God. I'm the bread of life. Where are the expectations? Like, that's disappointing, isn't it? First, you're looking for a great prophet. Second, you're looking for a great king. Third, you're thinking, oh, well, maybe, maybe like he's trying to say that he's God. He made food yesterday. And he says, no, I'm, I'm a loaf of bread. And, and he'll go on and he'll talk about the importance that bread is for life and why it's valuable and, and it's a staple and, and all this sort of thing. And, and there's a lot there. He gives life to the world. So there's still a lot of good things in that, but it's certainly disappointing for somebody to describe themselves as a loaf of bread rather than the prophet that's been awaited for centuries, the Messiah that we've been looking for, or even God himself. And so the chapter actually ends in verse 66, telling us that many of his disciples no longer followed him. And then in verse 70, Jesus actually alludes there, which is almost the last verse of the chapter, that Judas, he realizes that Judas will eventually betray him. And so maybe we're not given exact numbers, but it seems that hundreds, perhaps thousands, since we start with 5,000 plus people, of people turn away from Jesus disappointed. They went to see and hear Jesus and they left disappointed. Jesus is hard to understand. He didn't meet their expectations. And this is really similar to what happens in chapter 11 with Lazarus, isn't it? That, that Mary, Martha, they're, they're hoping that Jesus will do something. 
And it seems that all Jesus does is come to attend the funeral. Their expectations were for more than that. And similarly, just as chapter 6 ends with people leaving, disappointed, with Judas rising up as the one who's going to, to betray him, chapter 11, the disappointment of the people, that chapter uh, around the, the death of Lazarus, that chapter ends with the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish religious political leaders making plans to kill Jesus. So there's a parallel in a sense between 6 and 11. They both start at this great hope and end almost in despair. And as we have time to, to think now, We've had centuries to process this, to, to think and talk about Jesus' words and actions. We can understand the bigger picture. We can see, perhaps, that Jesus was trying to make a point and to teach something. But in the moment, people found Jesus to be disappointing. And so what can we learn from these two series of events? I think the first thing is that Jesus doesn't march to the beat of our drum. Okay? Jesus doesn't march to the beat of our drum. And, and so, you know, we have expectations. We might call them hopes. <laughs> but oftentimes, they're expectations. That Jesus, that God is going to do a particular thing. Not just do a particular thing, but in a particular way. Right? How, how often have you uh, had to look for a job and you're like, oh, God, will you help me find a job? And by the way, this one, I've already got it circled over here. This is the one that's the right job for me. Right? And, and, and then that job, and you say, oh, I'm just praying, I'm just hoping, but this is the right one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. And, and it, it doesn't. And we're disappointed and in what God is doing for us. Because we're saying, God, that, that, they hired someone else. How did that happen? And, and Jesus doesn't march to the beat of our drum. And, and, and so this, the second thing is that we have to accept that we won't always receive an answer to our why questions. And I think this is hard, right? Like, I teach math to, to third grades. I, I don't teach it. There's teachers in the classroom. But I go in a couple of times a week and help teach math. That's a better way of saying it. Uh, to, to third graders uh, just down the road. And it's really important as we do that to, to say, here's what you got wrong. And here's why it's wrong. And we'll try and find all sorts. We've just been doing fractions. We've talked about pizzas like so much, you know, you divide the pizza into slices. And I was sure there'd be a pizza party at the end, and there wasn't. And, uh, but, you know, it's like we want you to understand. We'll try and make images. It's a pizza. It's a cake. It's a whatever. Like, like get this picture in your head. Understand the why. And, and, and then next time you'll be equipped to, to move forward with it. And, and, and we want that why. And it's so critical to our ongoing growth and development. To, to get that way. If kids go through and they're just going through the motions and they learn the formulas and they just plug it all in, there's going to come a point point. they're saying, 
I don't understand anymore. I never learned why we're doing it. And, and so that if something is worded differently, they're, they're, it's just going to slip by. But So there's a lot of times in life we need to know the whys. But in our relationship with God, as we walk through life, as things happen to us, we have to accept that we won't always know the whys. And, and that can be hard. Because here's the thing is that we like to be in control. Right? We all know somebody in our lives that perhaps we want to describe as a control freak. Right? Um, because they just want everything done their way. And we say that like, oh, that's a terrible thing. But we're all control freaks about something. If somebody moves that TV remote from where it's supposed to be, right? Somebody's going to be paying consequences, right? Have you ever put a spatula in the wrong drawer? Yeah, right? Did you, you know, there are things that happen where you soon discover who's in control around the house or of that particular part of the house, right? We all like to be in control. We complain about our bosses at work because they don't do things the way that they should, right? If I was in control, things would be so much better, right? And, and so we, we all have this desire to be in control. Again, going back to Eve, wasn't that what she was doing? I can be like God. Right? I'll understand why I can be in control of my own destiny. And so we, we sit, when, it's easy to say, oh, we're not always going to get the answers to our why questions. But so often when we don't get those answers, they, it eats us up. Right? Do you still have regrets about that job that you didn't get? That you don't understand why? That didn't come through. Even if the job you did end up getting worked out really well, you're like, oh, but that other one. Yeah. Or, or other missed opportunities. And then the, the third thing that I think we can take from this is that we need to accept that even as Christians, um, our lives are seldom going to be smooth rides. Right? You see, disappointment is built into life. That, that's the consequence of living in a fallen world. And, and so we, we say, oh, I'm a Christian. My life's going to look like this. Right? That Jesus is going to make my life look like this. Jesus is going to straighten out my life. And there's some truth to it. But so often it still looks like this, doesn't it? Right? We all have these unexpected turns. And events that happen in our lives. And, and so as Christians, it's not that our lives take this straight road. It's rather that we don't walk that road alone. But we're going to be disappointed. It's just part of life. And if we expect the straight road, we're, because we're a Christian, we're going to be disappointed by Jesus. Because he's not living up to my expectations. So I want to close by pointing you to an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus, even when life 
goes in ways that we don't understand. Even when we, we can't grasp why things are happening the way that they are. In John 6 and verse 9, we have this situation. I, I read previously for you in verse 7, where Philip answered and said, hey, it's going to take half a year's wage to get all this food for to just give everyone a bite. We don't have that kind of money lying around. Okay. But look at what happens next. In verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? I want you to think about this, right? So he goes and he says, hey, I found us some food. Jesus, look, I found us some food. It fits in my hands just like this. I found it. We've only got to feed 5,000 plus people with it, Jesus. What's the point? What's the point? Jesus says, just watch and see. Just watch and see. Go find me some baskets. And, and so he comes. He, he does this thing of faith. He finds the food. And he has no idea what God is going to do next, what Jesus is going to do next. And, and he says, look, I can't predict it. I have zero expectations. In fact, Jesus, my expectations of you are very low. Because I don't know that you can do anything with this, but here is what we have. Jesus says, that's all I was looking for. All I was looking for is what you have. Now step back. And, and, and I think in, in, this is what it means to travel with Jesus. It means that, that we don't have all the rise. We don't know what's going to be ahead. We give up some of our certainty. We have to moderate our expectations. But we say, Jesus, I am available. What I have is available. What can you do with what we have? And, and I think we see the same attitude in chapter 11. Uh, there we see Martha come to Jesus. She is the first person that comes running to Jesus uh, when she hears that he is finally approaching. Lazarus has been dead four days. And uh, she, she greets him and says, and it's, it's sort of around the other way here, she says, Jesus, if you'd come earlier, I'll find it here. If you'd come earlier, you could have changed this. Uh, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's a pretty low place, isn't it? How's that for a greeting? You're responsible for my brother's death. I don't understand. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you're thinking. There's all this uncertainty, all this stuff I can't control. Life is in a terrible place. And then she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Even in this mess, even in this tangled up road and this journey that I'm on, I know that I'm not on alone. I know that you're with me. I know that God is with you and I know that God can do whatever needs to be done. I don't know what it is. And, and I think that's what being a Christian is like at times. It's saying, God, I, I've lost a job. I need a job. I don't know what it is. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm good at. What have you got for me? And, and when we adopt that, it's really hard to be disappointed in Jesus. 
But when we, we're the ones who set the expectations, when we try to beat the drum for Jesus to follow, then we'll be, find Jesus to be disappointing at times. Because we're trying to be the ones who are in control. And so I think this is how we need to live our lives. While we long for certainty, Jesus says, do your best with what you have and trust me. Why did Jesus let his disciples panic about where they were going to get food? Why did Jesus refuse to be made king? Why did Jesus walk on the water? Why did Jesus tell Yes, he is the Messiah. Why Jesus invites us to follow him. He invites us to eat with him. Not just to eat with him, to eat him. Which is strange, right? That he is the bread of life. It's he that can sustain our lives. He doesn't promise certainty. He doesn't promise us a perfect understanding of everything that takes place around us and to us. And if our expectations are disappointing, then we too will find Jesus disappointing. And the thing is that when we find Jesus disappointing because of our attitudes, because of our expectations, what's actually happened is that we're the ones disappointing Jesus. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day.